0: Well, as Andy said, my name is Bruce Sedman, and I'm the U.S. Director of the and What a gift is right I have a pretty long history here at this church. I actually, when I was going to college, thought about coming to Wheaton, so I did some campus visits. It was between Wheaton and Baylor. Sorry, I chose Baylor. But I've always carried the Chicago area in my heart, and I've um, got to be up here right when this church was planted. Uh, some of you know the founding pastor, Jonathan Goley. He and I were at Lowe's trying to buy a horse trough. <laughs> the first baptism that happened in this church i remember walking up and down the aisles with them i don't know maybe one of you were the ones baptized i don't know but I've been a part of this church been up here several times and actually had the opportunity to be up here this last fall right in the midst of some significant transition times and let me just say being back here again a few months later or happy actually a whole year later wow um way to go i i just i my heart is so filled with pride gratitude just looking across this room and seeing you guys have loved the body of Christ, carried this church. I just want to say, well done. Seriously, well done. And And I specifically want to honor your transition team that guided the church through that process. People who did not, were not paid by the church, just as a labor of love under the Lord, served. And that's difficult. I've been a part of a lot of pastoral transitions. I cannot tell you how hard it is to guide that. As you're working a full time job and caring for a family at the same time, I mean, wow. I don't think you can appreciate how how intense that can be unless you've been through it. And so, if you were a part of that transition team, can you stand? Um, I I don't mean to call you out. (laughs) together As the body, honor, celebrate, and express our heart of gratitude through these men and women who serve so faithfully. I pray every place they poured out on all of our behalf, every place they sacrificed, every place they gave something up, will you pour into them again today in Jesus' name? And Lord, it's our prayer that Anya Chicago would thrive and walk in the fullness of his calling. And so we thank them for their place in this story. And Lord, together we want to see. talking theology, talking church values, I felt like in my heart like, yes, I want to go. Talking about, I just want to be a part of a church that does discipleship and missions through the local church and, you know, uh, committed to the Word of God and want to walk in the Spirit and all this stuff. And I'm like, you're talking my language the whole time. We've never met before. And it just felt such a connection. So, um, man, what a joy to to see them as new pastors here. God's doing a rich work here. And I was thinking about your name change and the significance of it Um, Antioch, Chicago. I love it. Antioch, you know, if you haven't grown up in the church world, it's kind of a weird word. You know? If you have been around for a while, you've lost sight of how weird the word is. Um, I was in our church in South Africa, and they were running into problems because they're reaching out to these college students, and the college students were saying, like, what are ox? I was like, what are you talking about? They're like, why are you anti-ox? <laughs> down with the ox! I mean, like, we want to be for stuff, not anti-stuff. It's like, wow. <laughs> sorry.
1: <laughs> so we're not anti-ox. Uh, Antioch is
0: actually a A really significant church in the New Testament. And one of the uh, most pivotal churches for the the gospel. And I love the foundation story. You know, you get in, you can read this for yourself, starting in Acts chapter 11, verse 19, and you can pick it back up in Acts 13. But this is the church, the very first church where believers were called Christians. And some scholars believe it was actually a derisive term, um, little Christ, you know. And the believers there looked so much like Jesus, that's what they were called, little Christ. Let it be true of all of us. They were disciples called Little Christ. I mean that's all we need, right? And it was a church that was multi-ethnic. Actually, in a city that was famous for racial strife, this church came together, it was the first time the gospel went over barriers. There were literally walls in the city of Antioch, keeping ethnic groups apart from each other. And this is where God chose to move in a way where the gospel crossed racial boundaries, economic boundaries, and you see that even expressed in the very leadership. And this is the church that sent people out to reach all of Europe. It was the Church of Antioch. This is where Paul's missionary journey started. And ended up touching the four corners of the earth. That's the statement. That that's who we want to be, that kind of church. And I love how Antioch was started in the New Testament. I, sometimes if I'm teaching, uh, I'll do a little pop quiz and ask people who started the church. And there's always some smart aleck who says Jesus. I'm like, yeah, yeah, go with it. But then people will say it's Paul. They say it's somebody else. But actually, if you read Acts chapter 11, verse 19, what you're going to find is that the church of Antioch was started accidentally. What happened is there was a persecution in Jerusalem where the church was based, and all the Christians had to flee the city. And it talks about believers went as far as Antioch preaching the gospel. And it was ordinary people who, in the midst of a crisis, carried the church and started the church in Antioch. Sound familiar? Everyday people living out their faith who, no matter what happened, and they refused to give up, pressed into God, eventually birthed a church that reached the whole known world and is a major part of the reason why we're in this room. We don't know their names, we'll know their names in heaven, I guarantee you that. We don't know their names in this, on this earth, common people like us. And when I look at this room, I see people who carry the church, who reach out faithfully. Way to go. You guys are awesome. And that's really what I want to talk about this morning, is you're part of this series talking about your foundational values and talking about who you are, identity. I want to talk about what does it mean to be a church that lives on mission? How do we, how do we embrace that calling to be Antioch like we see in the Bible? What's our identity? And our primary passage this morning is going to be 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14 through 21. Um, I'm going to get to that in a minute, uh, but you can go ahead, if you have a Bible with you, or a phone with you with a Bible app, you can scroll to your Bible. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 14, if you want to be prepared when I dive in. And today we're going to talk about mission. What does it mean for us as a church, and what does it mean for us as individuals to live a life on mission? But here's what i found. When I talk about mission, it brings up some really significant questions What's my purpose? You know, that's another way of saying mission, right? It's purpose. What's my purpose? And yeah, I can hear all this cool stuff about the Bible, but it, it, for all of us, I think we walk around in this big question mark. What am I supposed to do in this life? Where do I fit in? And it's impossible to talk about purpose without also uh, not talking about identity because the two go hand in hand. Purpose and identity. And that's the journey God has you in this church is what's your identity what's your purpose? But I also find, I would imagine every person in this room you're asking that question at the same time through your own mind. What's my purpose and what's my identity? And don't you know, we live in a world that makes that kind of difficult to answer sometimes. You know, I think a lot of us, the way we interpret that question is not the way God designed it. And I think it confuses us from being able to understand the mission of God. And it kind of makes us a little bit insecure. I think sometimes, I don't know about you, but I actually don't even ask the question too much because I don't want to really go there. You know, it's like, man, I'm just going to coast through life and watch football. Um, <laughs> It can, be, it can make me insecure. And since we're going to feel that way this morning, I thought I'd just make us more insecure. Um, there's actually, people have studied this, you know, different occupations and the prestige level of those occupations. Because we live in a world that tells us that what we do determines who we are. You realize that? We live in a world that tells us that what we do determines who we are. That our mission gives us our identities, And I think we're going to find here in a minute the word of God that equation split and so what happens to us is when we start talking about our mission, it comes up with all these identity questions, and we end up missing the heart of God when I think at the end of the day what God wants to do is flip that to give us our identity so that then we can walk into our mission. Yeah. And if didn't catch that, I'm going to unpack that a little bit more here in a second. So let's make ourselves insecure this morning. People have actually studied this. If you were to step outside the walls of the church, and if we're being real today, also inside the walls of the church, people actually study prestige level based on occupations. If you're like a college student, I'm going to give you a guide if you want to be rich and famous, you know. Um, And here's what they find. I'll give you a few examples of this. They find that if you are a philosophy or a psychology professor or a physics professor, congratulations. You're in the top five most prestigious job occupations on this planet. Surgeons, you're up there too. Like, you know, they're doing really well in the eyes of the world. Uh, But at at the top, I think we can all agree on this, the most prestigious occupation, the people whose purpose gives them the most identity through the eyes of this world. You ready for this? You could guess it. An astronaut. I mean, right? Like, if you ever walk in space, you win. <laughs> <Whatever>. <laughs> I don't care what the game is. <laughs> and, you know, it's, you could go on, but there's, there's the bottom occupations, and I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but if you're an envelope stuffer, sorry, people don't think very highly of you, you know? And one that just boggles my mind a good identity, and then we have people that don't. They have not made it, right? And how the world teaches us, and I would imagine everybody in this room, I don't know if there's any astronauts or donor machine operators, but if there are, I'd love to meet you afterwards. The rest of us live in the middle somewhere. We live in the middle somewhere where we always walk around thinking there are people better than us and people lower than us, and that's how we get our identity, if we're not really careful. We walk around thinking that person's purpose is greater than my purpose therefore they have more value that person's purpose is less than mine therefore they have less value and that's how i find my place in this world that is the equation this world teaches us that what you do determines who you are and if we live by the world's equation we will never walk in the purposes of god that's an extreme statement but i'm going to say it again if we live by the world's equation we will never walk in the purposes of god because god did not design us to gain our identity based off of our mission. It's the other way around. If I try to work to become somebody, I'll never walk in the fullness of who I already am. And that's the very nature of the gospel. What you do does not determine who you are. I want to dive into our passage this morning and um, kind of take that, that context, you know, that, that world's equation in the back of your mind. Let's, let's see what the gospel actually says. Let's see what the Bible tells us about who we are. Pick up in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14, it says this. I'm going to read the first four verses. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. This is the key verse right here. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. And did you catch how this whole thing started? It's the love of Christ that compels us. And that right there is the key for everything else. If I am compelled in this life, if we talk about the identity of this church, if that's some way that we can feel good about ourselves, we're going to miss it. But if instead we have an encounter with the love of Christ that then causes us to go say, I've got to take this to the world around me. That's when we're on the right track. We're discovering our mission, both as individuals and as a church. It has to be the love of Christ that compels me in every single way. And when this happens, everything else is going to change it. And I don't know if you saw this, but we're convinced that one died. is because of what Jesus did, not because I can muster this up in my own strength, but because he died for me. That's what allows me to live according to Christ's love. And I don't know if you saw this little verse, but I just think it, it sounds so easy to say and so hard to live. But it says that we no longer live for ourselves. Amen. I'm going to say that again. I don't, I don't think we've registered the reality of what an extreme statement that is, that we no longer live for ourselves. When I have an encounter with the love of God, what happens is I become compelled, and I stop living for me and my own purposes. It's no longer about me trying to make my way in this world. Instead, it's about me trying to love Jesus and then turning around and loving other people. And when that shift happens inside of my own heart, that's what frees me to actually live the mission God's had for me. Guys, I wish I could say that that's like all of my life. You know, I think all of us, we we strive for that. We want that. But I... I Trying to live according to the world equation, thinking that because I do something, it's going to make me someone. Rather than going to the love of Jesus as my starting point, And that being what motivates me and compels me into everything else. Let me say it another way. You will never discover your life's purpose if your primary purpose is you. And that's a paradox of the kingdom. If you walk around thinking, how do I become someone great? You'll never walk into the fullness of what God has for you. Until we die to ourselves, we don't find the life Jesus has. It's one of those weird things, um, the paradox of what it means to walk with God. You'll never discover your life's purpose if your primary purpose is you. The world's equation says that what you do determines who you are. But I believe God's equation for us this morning as we see in his word is that actually who you are determines what you do. I don't strive to become somebody. I already am somebody, so I go do something. Come on. It's what I've already received. My identity I already have sets me free to go serve somebody else. And if the best way to serve somebody else is operating a donut machine, praise the Lord. No, seriously, I would love that. Praise the <laughs> Lord. You know, and, and if the best way to serve someone else is being an astronaut, praise the Lord. But it's not about me trying to be good. It's about me being loved by Jesus and saying, God, here's my life. It's all yours. Let me go serve somebody else. It's a heart motivation. And we can't understand the mission of God without starting with our identity and our heart motivation. And Paul, we're going to go on in our passage. We're going to start getting clear. What are we supposed to do as the body of Christ? And I think that's something we need to pay attention to. But if we don't back up first and say, what's driving us on the inside, we're never going to actually get there. Because ultimately, our own ambition is going to get in the way. Our own question mark of trying to find our identity is going to get in the way. And friends, I want you to be free this morning. You know, his love. If so We keep going on with this passage. What does it say? That you have received Jesus. The old has gone. The new has come. We no longer regard people from a worldly point of view. When we get this, that's the natural response, is I stop looking at people through the equation of the world. Now, can you do that? Really? Can I see somebody, and they walk in, and maybe they don't have kind of the most prestige, Do I still look at him through the eyes of the world? Or maybe a more real question, when I look in the mirror, do I still see myself through the eyes of the world? Do I still see myself through the lens of my insecurities, through the places I feel like I have to be somebody to measure up? Is that what I still see? Because the extent to which I see that, I'm going to miss what God has for me. And friends, this is a journey, this is a lifelong journey of what does it really mean to live in the love of Christ? But that's where the mission of God starts. I'm going to pray this over us before we get into unpacking the mission itself. You know what I'm sharing this morning is the word of God, and I believe the word of God transforms us more than anything else. But I found in my own life, it takes the Holy Spirit doing something deep inside of me for that word to really change me from the inside out. And I want to pray this morning that God does that, that all these places where, I I don't know, I'm just speaking for myself. I can know the right answer, but learning to live according to it is a whole different ballgame. And that's a truth bow your heads with me. Father, uh, we confess how shaped we are by the world's equations. We confess that we so easily get our identity based on how we stack it up compared to other people. We confess that we spend our lives chasing after that so that we can be someone We miss out the identity that you give us in the cross. And I pray this morning Spirit of God, will you do a deep work inside of us so that we see ourselves rightly through the lens of Jesus, that we recognize what it is to be a son or a daughter of the living God, where we see what it means that we carry the new life in Christ, Lord, will you do something inside of us, Lord, will you transform us from the inside out, our identity. And Lord, thank you that you disciple us, Lord, will you reveal, reveal to us gently those places where we're still trying to work to earn your approval or someone else's. We're missing what you have for us It's right in front of our face. So, God, take take my words, and Lord, will you instead come through with the word of God? Let your word come alive to every person in this room. Get anything I've said out of the way that might hinder it instead. Will you come and set us free to be who you've made us to be in the name of Jesus? Amen? And then, so we've got to get our identity down first when we get our identity down, that's when we can turn the corner and start saying, okay, because of who I am, now God, what do you call me to go to? I did college ministry for years, and what I found, and actually this goes way beyond college ministry, um, people always ask me the question, what is God's will for my life? What is God's will for my life? Now with students, that was really code for who am I supposed to marry, so, you know, I'm sorry, <laughs> I don't know that part of God's will for your life. Um, but I think most of us, you know, it's who am I going to marry, what job should I What career field? Where should I move to? We're thinking of a specific thing in my life. Right? God's will for my life. My life is bold and underlined when we ask the question. What if we started with first asking about God's will? Because I actually think God's will is pretty clear. And when I get God's will, then I can better interpret my life. If I jump to my life first, I might miss God's will. I believe God does have all that stuff for you. He has a path for you, and I believe that it's gonna be a journey of you uncovering that. But I found in my own life, the more clear I can be about God's will and his vision on this earth, which is way bigger than me, that allows me to interpret me and where I fit in. But I've got to start with him rather than starting with me. And so I believe today I'm gonna to tell you God's will for your life. Not here you're gonna marry, and that's why we did the greeting times. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> Not who you're going to marry. I can't tell you that. I can't tell you what a job you're supposed to take. But I can tell you the mission God's called you to live on. Okay. And when you get that, I find a lot of times it's pretty easy for me to understand what my next step is supposed to be. All right, so God's will for our life. Let's go dive back into our passage in verse 18. It says this. All of this, which is speaking of our new identity in Christ, all of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us this ministry of reconciliation. So, because of who we are, we've been given something to do. I think it's really significant. You know, Jesus entrusted, he gave, he delegated to us his mission on this earth. In other words, if we're not doing the mission of God, no one else is. It's the role of the church. I don't know why. I mean, I think God, obviously, he created us. He knows we're pretty flaky and not always very reliable. But for whatever reason, God chose to give us the mission of reconciliation. It just boggles my mind. And before we dive into what that actually is, I think there's a critical mindset shift that has to happen in the church all across the world. I don't think this is just an American problem or a Chicago problem. I think this is a global problem, is that if the church loses sight of the mission of God, I think we lose sight of what it means to be the church. I heard it illustrated like this. Uh, The church is supposed to be a battleship, not a cruise ship. Some of you might be familiar with that illustration. But if you show up to church and you're expecting it to be a cruise ship and you're thinking about your place in the cabin and the buffet, you know, that's the wrong way to approach church. It's still a boat. It's on the water. But the right way is to say we live on a mission. We have a role. We have a responsibility to achieve the mission that God has given us. And I don't know about you, but I can easily live out of both mindsets. I can be the guy that lives on mission, and I can be the world's biggest diva. You know, it doesn't take a lot for me. It's actually the mindset I'm living out of. And so I've had, one time I was in India in this very remote village. I got off the airplane, and it was like 115 degrees in humid. There was no air conditioning, there was barely any electricity. The drinking water was green, and that is not an exaggeration. Like, this was the world's worst cruise ship destination, you know? It was horrible. But I was there to be a part of supporting this. Incredible network of churches. There's about 30 house churches, all of them first-generation believers from every caste. It was this incredible work of God in an unreached area, entirely led by Indians. And it was an Indian friend of mine had sacrificed a really great job, moved back into a village, which is a very big deal, and laid down his life for years, actually several years, before they saw their first salvation. But then God just did this acceleration into this thriving work that's still going on decades later. And I got to be a part of visiting. You know, when I had the context of living on mission to support this incredible work of God, I wasn't lying awake at night, which I was lying awake at night because it was so hot. It got down to like 95, I think, or something. I was lying on the roof under the stars because that's the only place I could hope to keep cold. Um, so I'm lying awake at night, but in my mind, I wasn't thinking, like, I'm going to rail these guys on TripAdvisor, you know? Like, this is a horrible vacation destination because I wasn't there for a vacation. I was there for a mission. And so I went to bed that night thinking, God. I can also be the guy. My wife can attest to this. They could get really frustrated about, you know, the hotel isn't clean or the air conditioner's not set right, or my food's not what I want it to be, and especially if it's related to coffee, I might have some big problems. You know, if I get into cruise ship mode, I can be really nitpicky about everything and make it all about me. And I, I would say to every person in this room, you all have both modes: cruise ship mode and battleship mode. It's a mindset you walk around. How do you approach church? And I'm not just talking about England, Chicago. I'm talking about church as a whole. If we live on mission, I find if all of us show up compelled by the love of Christ, wanting to serve God and his purpose, then our needs get taken care of in the process. Again, it's a paradox of the kingdom. Whoever seeks to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. When I approach the church seeking to serve, that's when my needs get taken care of. But when I show up thinking about me, I end up not satisfied, and I don't get to contribute to what God is wanting to do. So for us to understand the mission of God, we have to understand our identity. We have to walk around with the right mindset, but then we also need to understand the mission. And let me turn to the next path, next verse, verse 19. It says this, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. So it's a mindset shift that we have, but God is crystal clear on what this mission is meant to be. It's not confusing. God's will is not some confusing thing. You see it throughout the scripture. You can go to the very beginning of Genesis to the very end of Revelation, and you see that what God is doing is he is reconciling the world to himself. And the apex of that is Jesus dying on the cross. But then every single gospel. You see this example of God extending this vision to us, Matthew 28, 19-20. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations. You see Acts 1-8. You will receive power when my Holy Spirit comes upon you, and then what's going to happen? You're not just going to have cool revival services in the church. No, you're going to go be my witnesses in Judea or Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. And we could go on and on and on, but it's the theme of the New Testament. Is a church alive extending the gospel message to those who've never heard? God intends for us to carry his message. And this word and this verse that just completely sobers me, he entrusted to us the very thing Jesus died for, he has entrusted to me and to you. And I just think about those first disciples, they saw the death of Jesus. And you see that all throughout the the book of Acts, if you're familiar, familiar with the Bible. You see the story of these Christians who sacrificed their lives so that people might come to know Jesus. They saw him, and they understood the weight of their responsibility to carry that message. And guys, that holds true just as much for us. The baton of God's mission has been passed down throughout the last couple thousand years, and it's in our hands today. And what are we going to do with it? And obviously we could take that to a really unhealthy place. I'll balance that out here in a minute. But I do think we need to recognize God's will. Before we jump to the excuses of why I can't move overseas or live on a mission or whatever it is, there are some very great reasons. I think most of you should not leave Chicago. You are called here, and that's a wonderful, beautiful thing. But for us to understand our place in God's story, we have to understand God's story first. We can't just start saying, "Why, you know, where do I fit? We've got to say, God, this is what you're doing. This is what you've given the church. We are called to carry the gospel message to those who've never heard. Matthew chapter 24, or 14 says this, this gospel of the kingdom is going to be a preached as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. Revelation 7, 9 talks about how people from every tribe, tongue, language, and nation are standing before the throne of God at the end of eternity. Guys, God is committed to every single person and people group on this planet having the opportunity to hear the gospel message. And we're a part of that story. Where do you fit? You know, that's the body of Christ, we need to know what the story is, otherwise we'll never find our proper place. And so before we go individual of what does this look like for you, I want to start by saying, what does it look like for the church as a whole? And you're part of this thing called the Antion Movement, and the Antion Movement was started based on this question, what would it look like if the church took this mission really seriously? And we committed to plant churches amongst those who've never heard. And the man who founded our movement, uh guy named Jimmy Seibert, he used to say it like this, quoting Acts chapter 1-8. It talks about going to the uttermost parts of the earth. And so he said, we want to be a church that sends people to the st of the uttermost, like the very end of the uttermost. Let's start there. And that doesn't mean we don't want to go across the street. It's just if you start across the street, you typically never get around the world. But if you start around the world, you get everywhere in between. And so from the very beginning back in the 1980s, there was a little discipleship training school with seven people in it. Most moves of God start pretty small. Seven people in it, and they ask this question, what if the local church really owned the mission of God? And a few years later, this incredible thing happened around the world where the Soviet Union collapsed, and these countries that had been closed to the gospel for two generations suddenly opened up. And so these people sitting in this room in Texas had been praying, God sent us to those who have never heard, and there was a historic opportunity. So what they did is they went. They ran to the place of need. And it's this crazy story. There's a book um, that Jimmy the founder of our movement wrote called Passion and Purpose. It'd be a great one to check out if you're interested. But he shares this story about this long journey where at the end of the day, this group of people from Waco ended up in Southern Siberia in the middle of wintertime. Now I have been to Southern Siberia in the middle of wintertime. And I know it gets cold in Chicago, but my Russian friend, he warned me that it was really cold the week before I got there. And I was like, yeah, okay, cool. But then it just dawned on me like, wait a second, when the Russian guy is telling you it's really cold, what does that mean? It was like over negative 40. I was like, that really is cold. Like, you live in that? Like, you die? Like, what happens, you know? And so it, it, like, it warmed up to the negative teens by the time I got there. base level. And so it's cold, you know I mean? It's like they don't know what they're doing. And uh, they made a lot of mistakes. But in the midst of it, God started to move. And God started to cover them. I find when I live on mission, God covers my weaknesses. He covers my mistakes when I put him first. And that's what happened in this scenario. And so you have this group of people They started leading people to the Lord and birthed a church in Siberia that birthed another church that started a church down in Mongolia. These are places where the gospel hasn't been in 70 years. And I had the privilege. I wasn't part of those early church planning days. But 25 years later, I've had the privilege to go work in Russia. And that church is still thriving to this day. There's actually five churches in this region around Lake Baikal. You can find it on the map. And about 80% of the congregation are people who came to know the Lord because either they or a loved one were set free from drug addiction through these rehabilitation houses the church has. It's a beautiful thing to worship with a room full of people who've been set free. And that's the whole testimony of this church. And now every time they play into church, they play into drug rehab house. And they just sent out their elite pastor, a guy who got led to the Lord at age Pastored the church for I don't know 20 years now. Just got sent out to Moscow to start a new church in Moscow. I think there's six or seven uh, churches total. that one church in Russia where we now have 80 works around the world, 35 churches in the United States, four more in the states that are launching this year. I've had had the privilege to visit most of our stateside churches. Guys, God is doing incredible things. So we as the church live on mission. But let's turn the corner and wrap up our time reading this last verse, talking about how does this apply to us. Read with me in verse 20. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God Making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. It can be a bit overwhelming when I show this flight map, talk about Russia in the wintertime, this big mission of God, and you came to church today thinking, I just want to get to the grocery store. You know, it's like, I understand. (laughs) And that's where I understandably say, let's start with the mission of God, but God's really gracious with us. He knows what our lives are like. And I think right here in this last verse, we have the key for every single one of us. How do we embrace this vision? Not all of you are called to go overseas. Maybe someone in this room, and we want to help you get there if so. But most of you are called right here. And that's not a lesser calling. That's not a secondary calling. At the end of the day, you have to live in obedience to Christ and what he's called you to do. And I believe he's placed you here in this city for such a I think the issue here is not so much your location, but your vocation. And what I mean by that is it's not about where you live, although it does matter. God will lead you to different places. But instead, do you live as an ambassador where you already are? God has called you his ambassador. you know, the ambassador. They represent the very words of the king that they come from. I've actually had the privilege, actually, it didn't feel like a privilege at the time, of spending time at a U.S. consulate overseas. Bummer, why I was there actually. Another story for another day. But was at this consulate when I walked through. I was in India at the time. This, you know, I don't know if you've ever been to India. It's one of my favorite places in this world. Uh, But it definitely does not feel like America. I never have had the feeling in India of like, wow, I feel like I'm back home. I always feel like I'm somewhere very far away. And so I'm in India. I've been moved by India, a city of 25 million people, the world's worst traffic. I'm zipping around. takes me an hour to get to the consulate. I walk through the security and I step into this room, and I've never felt something like it before. The atmosphere shifted, and it felt like I walked right into a 1950s rural American post office. Like I swear, they pumped in the air. You know the musty smell of a post office. Yeah. Like they bottled it up in a jumbo jet and piped it into that room. Like I was expecting somebody to come out with some kind of casserole. Like it just Felt like a cheap on rock ball, you know, wannabe painting. Like that's what the room felt like with the wood panels and it was so distinctly American, surrounded by India. And it got me to thinking, what if everywhere we went we set up embassies of heaven? What if your cubicle was an embassy of heaven? where when people crossed the threshold they felt the atmosphere shift. What if your house was an embassy of heaven? Wherever you are in Chicago Land? What if your classroom was an embassy of heaven? Do you know what a high calling it is to be an ambassador? But let me put it another way. There is no such thing as a dead-end job in the kingdom. Maybe going back to our donut equation from earlier, you know, maybe your job isn't prestigious in somebody else's eyes, and you know, God might lead you out of it. That's great, I'm all for getting promoted. But ambassador, that's a pretty prestigious job in the eyes of heaven. And you might be the only one. You might work in a retail store, you may hate it. But can you be an ambassador for the couple more months God has you there? I have a friend who was in Waco. He was a college graduate as a barista working in a, it wasn't even a real Starbucks. It was like a knockoff Starbucks in a parking garage. And he's a college graduate working there part time. You know, and it's like in the eyes of the world, like you're not making it, you know? But he determined, he knew he wasn't going to be there very long, but he said, I'm going to be an ambassador while I'm here. So he was a great employee. That's where you got to start, right? Don't be an ambassador be a bad employee. He was a great employee. But then he determined, I'm gonna shift the atmosphere. And if you've ever worked in the food industry, it can sometimes be kind of negative. And he decided, I'm gonna be an encourager. He went out of his way to encourage people to love the customers, love his coworkers. And it got to the point where his boss recognized the influence he had on the environment and she made him the director of employees morale. <laughs> he did not receive the pay rents or anything else, but he had the title. <laughs> I don't think it was sanctioned from corporate. But it got to the extent where when she went home at night, her husband could tell whether or not Mark had been working that day based on her attitude. Wow. He had that kind of impact. That's what ambassadors do. You see, the key for us living on mission is embracing our calling to be an ambassador. And yes, there's this broader picture of what the church does, and some of you will get sent out or do these crazy things. But imagine if all of us lived like an ambassador. Because if I look at this room, I see dozens of ambassadors to Chicagoland. And if you embrace that calling, guys, we're going to see a revival happen. The solution, I believe, for the mission of God is not a few superstar Christians doing all the work. It's everyday people like all of us, each one of us embracing our call to be an ambassador. Who are the one to three people God's put in your life? Can you pray for them every day? Start there. If you don't know what to do, just start praying for people. Like seriously, take me up on this. Pray for them every single day for the next month, and I guarantee you God's going to create some opportunities for you to share your testimony. It's not rocket science when we embrace this, when we stop making our lives about trying to gain identity based on what we do, but instead we realize who we already are. And we say, God, I'm willing to go be your ambassador. I'm willing to live on mission. Friends, we're going to look back one day, we're going to see something similar to the Church of Antioch happen in this place. Everyday people embracing the mission of God. That's who we are. That's who you are. That's who you've been. And I really honor the fact that they're royalty, and then what they do is the best way to serve. I know you may not feel that right now, but that's true. If you know Jesus, you're royalty in the eyes of heaven. And if you know Jesus, you've been given a calling to be an ambassador. I don't care what's on your business card. Ambassador <coughs> to you should be above you. Ambassador to the retail But I find for me, there's times I have to re embrace my identity, my purpose, and say, God, i did it again. It's not easy being ambassadors. You know, it's not easy embracing the mission of God. It's more comfortable to live on a cruise ship. But I think all of us, if that's the way we live, we're going to look back one day with regret. But when you embrace the mission of God, it's like you said about life. When I embrace the mission of God, I don't ever regret it. Because I find that's what I'm made for. And so I'd like to invite anybody who would like prayer, especially related to anything. I'm involving identity. If you feel like, man, I've gotten stuck in this cycle where I am finding my identity based on what I do and it's blocking me from what God has for me, please don't leave today without giving us the chance to pray over you. And anytime we gather as church, I know there's any number of needs and maybe you walk into the morning, and you know, it's hard to connect with this message on mission based on the stuff going on in your life today. I totally understand. I've been there myself. At the church, we want to pray for you no matter what. So even if it's something totally unrelated to my message, let's come to the front. We'll end this with a time of prayer, so we pray for all of us. God, we do say yes to your word, and I pray grace today to embrace our calling, to no longer find our identity in what the world tells us is important, but instead to find our identity in the fact that we are sons and daughters of the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and we have been redeemed. God, give us grace to turn around, compelled by your love, and serve someone else. And Lord, I ask across this room, Lord, you know the needs of this community. Lord, use us as you will your salt and your life in Chicago and ultimately...